right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so good to be here. My name, as he said, is Jason Robertson. Um, I'm originally from down in the bayou of Louisiana. Grew up down near New Orleans and uh, was in a wonderful church down there many years ago. Gave my life to Christ when I was just a young boy. Surrendered to preach when I was 12. And uh, my pastor told me, said, well, if God's called you to preach, get after it. Go on out there and preach. So I would, anywhere I could go, uh, jails, nursing homes, street corners, anywhere I could find an audience, that's where I was preaching the gospel. And so from a young age, uh, God opened doors for me to be able to travel across uh, America and around the world a few times preaching and doing crusades and church planting and mission and uh, mission trips and uh, pastored a church in Louisiana for a while. But many years ago, over 20 years ago, I finally got a chance to come out to California and was preaching a meeting in, in Southern California and was blown away by the mission field that I saw here on the West Coast. And uh, when I went back home, uh, packed up uh, everything we had, my wife, our children, we were young, and uh, put it all in a U-Haul truck and moved to California and uh, planted a church. We just showed up in a town that didn't have any churches. There was a brand new town down there near Temecula and Murrieta area, and uh, so we planted a church there. And uh, since then, for over 20 years, I've been pastoring and planting churches in California, and recently was asked by our state convention, the California State Convention, to come on board for them, with them, and uh, become the team leader of the Church Matters Department. You might be familiar with some of this since your pastor has also just recently joined the state convention to take over the disaster relief, and so I have Church Matters, so my job is to go from the top to the bottom of the state and work with churches, helping them stay healthy, find pastors, work on legal matters, compliance issues, as well as revitalization and revival and, and renewal and, and, and many, many other things. And so taking all the experience that I've had throughout the years and, uh, and I'm able to, to, uh, to, to uh, take that and spread it in churches across our state. While I remain on my staff in Huntington Beach, <clears throat> the, the church that I uh, pastor in Huntington Beach uh, went there some seven years ago. It was almost bankrupt when we got there, very small church, and, uh, and, and uh, went in and did a revitalization uh, effort there with that church, and now uh, it is growing, going strong. We've got 12 pastors on staff and four churches on the property and planting 12 other churches. And so that affords me the opportunity to not have to be there. And so I just go there and hang out with those guys and are part of those staff meetings as often as I can. But uh, I go out now and travel across the state. And so that's why I'm so thankful to be with you this morning and, uh, and your pastor, Kendrick, uh, shared with me uh, what's been going on here, and so I'm delighted to be part of your journey, and if any way I can help, uh, man, I'd be glad to help out. But today he's asked me to bring you a message from James chapter 1, 
So that's where we'll be this morning, James chapter 1 and uh, verses 26 through chapter 2, verse 13. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, James, as you probably already know, because I know the pastors that have been coming in and preaching, they are all dealing with the book of James, so you probably know a lot about James, but for those who may not know, maybe you're here today for the first time, or a guest in this church, or maybe not even familiar with the Bible or Christianity, James is one of the uh, most interesting people in the Bible, because you're talking about the half-brother of Jesus. And for some people, they may not even realize Jesus had brothers and sisters. And, uh, but of course, Jesus was born when Mary was a virgin, before her and Joseph even got married. It was a miracle, and there's a whole reason for all that happening. But after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph were married, and they went on and had more children. They had children. James is one of those children. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He's the son of Mary and Joseph. Now, the reason I'm making a big deal about that this morning is because it's good to remember that no one, no one knows Jesus better than James. Think about it. No one would know Jesus better than James. Even the apostles who spent three years with him, James spent at least 30 years with him. James grew up with him. James, uh, well, they were just children together. So they went out and they lived life together. He got to see Jesus in every setting, every situation, and in every context. And one of the interesting things about James is he didn't actually worship Jesus as God right away. He took his time and he watched him and he listened to him. 30 years of watching and listening. It wasn't until after the resurrection that James finally said, yes, I can affirm this is God. Jesus is who he says he is. And the thing is, after the resurrection, that's the most inconvenient time to believe in Jesus. It's the most dangerous time to believe in Jesus. And there was nothing to gain personally from coming out as a believer. In fact, it would have been a good time for James to say, listen, my brother was a good man, smart man, but he wasn't God. Come on. And had he said that, I think it would have settled the issue. I think a lot of people would have listened to James. He was a, James himself was a very good person, had a perfect reputation. And I think a lot of people would have taken that into account, that the guy who knows him best can say he's a good man, godly man, smart man, Jesus was all the things, but he's not God. Come on now. He's not God. But James didn't say that. In fact, he did the very opposite. He actually became a pastor. He pastored the very first New Covenant church that was started, the one in Jerusalem. So he not only did not say that Jesus was, you know, not God, he turned around and became a leader of the Christian movement, you see. He went all in. He believed as much or more than anyone that Jesus was who he was. And so, 
This is the guy who wrote this letter. This is James. And the thing about James, and what's really cool about this letter that he wrote, is you find out very quickly that James, he wasn't trying to be a theologian. He left that to his brother Jesus. Jesus is the theologian. Jesus is the one who is the expert on all the doctrines. James just wanted to be practical. James was a, if this is what it means, this is what we ought to do about it kind of guy. And so that's what you find when you read even this book we call James. It's very simple, very practical. So let's take a look at it, starting in chapter 1, verse 26. And I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to just kind of take a a deeper look at it, all right? All right, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hey, you can already see this is some practical stuff, right? This is, this is just the how-to kind of stuff. It's so practical. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. Notice this is so practical. So so, just picture that this morning. There's a rich person visit our church, and someone who who has very little money comes walking in. Verse 3, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you are really fulfilled If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're going to stop there. Again, this is the text that that Kendrick wanted me to bring to you today, and this, again, is so practical. But as I read through this text today, Being a pastor, normally, you know, as we preach through a book of the Bible, each sermon's building on the next, and I know you had uh, a a pastor in here last week, Rob, Pastor Rob's a tremendous man of God, but so I was going back in the text and just looking and uh, getting prepared for you today, and I want you, I want to show you something 
that James said right before he said what I wrote, just read to you, that I have to tell you, if you miss what he said right before, you will misunderstand everything we just read. It's as simple as that. So I need to show you something. And I tell you what, what, what James says is, is so profound. It's so amazing. It makes, it makes his whole book really make sense. So if you don't catch it, if you, if you just happen to not see it, you can really come away saying the book of James is great and it's very helpful, but at the end of the day, you still may miss his main point. So I want to look at it. Now, again, remember, James is the guy who knew Jesus the best. He, he literally grew up with the founder of Christianity. So James sees things a little differently than the average person, even the average apostle. And here's what he says. This is so good. In fact, I'm going to show, I'm a, I'm a, let, me, let me just read it to you. Verse 23, verse 23. Watch what he says. Again, he's so practical. Verse 23 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 23. Here's what he says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who intently who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now let's stop there. This is what James says right before he starts talking about control your tongue, visit the widows, the orphans, uh, how do you treat different people. So he, he's made a statement, and then everything else sort of is flowing from that statement. And the statement is this. The Bible is like a mirror. And when you look into a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. And that's exactly what the Bible wants to do to you and I. Before anything else... It wants, the Bible wants us to see our true selves. This is so important. You see, James understood Christianity on that, on that next level. It's not just another religion about do's and don'ts. All religions have these rules. All religions are a list of do's and don'ts, Right? And Christianity, though, is deeper than that. That's what James is trying to say. I don't want to just give you a list of right and wrong and do's and don'ts. I want you to realize that this whole thing is not just about what you do, but it's about who you are. That's what it's about first, who you are. It's like a mirror. Before the Bible teaches you what to do, it teaches you who you are, and if you don't catch that, if you only look in the Bible to see what you're supposed to do, and you forget that it teaches you who you are, I'm telling you, you can misuse the Bible. Have you ever met anybody that misused the Bible? Have you ever known any churches that misuse the Bible? And they can be so difficult, those Christians can be so difficult to be around at times because they got a list 
and their list of do's and don'ts are the same list we got, but, but it's like they're coming at it differently. There's a different attitude. There's a different tone. The number one people say about church is, I don't want to go to church because it's full of... Wow, y'all knew it, see? Everybody says that, full of hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is when somebody is acting in a way that is not accurate to who they claim to be. And this is what James is getting at. He's not just trying to give you a bunch of, here's the rules. Don't just approach the Bible that way. Don't just open it up and say, well, let me find out what I'm supposed to do, and then I'm going to go try real hard to do it. No. You open the Bible, and it's going to be a mirror. And you're going to learn about yourself. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. And as you learn about yourself and you learn the gospel and you learn about God and you learn about Jesus and what he's doing in you, he's going to start changing you from the inside out. Amen? You learn that you're created by God. You're created in his image. I mean, come on now. No matter what anybody else has told you, no matter what the world tells you, you didn't evolve from some slime somewhere. You were created by God. You have, you have value. You have purpose. Your life has meaning. Doesn't matter where you grew up. Doesn't matter what you have and what you don't have. He's going to start talking about people with gold rings versus people with shaggy clothes. Look, whenever you realize where you came from, none of that stuff matters. You came from God. That's what the Bible teaches you. It teaches you that you were created for His glory, for your, His glory. And then it teaches us that we forfeited that glory, that we're sinners. We are sinners. We are worse than what we know. In fact, I years ago learned a valuable lesson when I was ministering. I'd have people come up to me and tell me how terrible I am. You ever had anybody do that? I've had them do that to me in church, man. I've had that in leadership. They'd come up and say, Jason, you, you know, and they'd say all kind of stuff. Tell me how terrible I am. And here's what I learned to say. I learned to say, you know what? I am worse than what you know. <laughs> and then you just see their face. See, I done got to the bottom of the garbage can, amen? I am worse than what you know. Yeah, I'm way worse than what any of you know. And so are you, amen, <laughs> right? It's the thing we don't want to talk about. If we knew the truth about each other, I'm not sure we'd all be in the same room right now. But we've gone to the Word of God, and we've come, come to a place where we can be honest and transparent, that we're, cre we're created for God's glory. We were created in His image, but we are sinners, Sinners. In fact, we are worse than what we can even describe. How bad are we? We're so bad that our condition required that our Creator and only, it can only be done by our Creator, came to the earth and died for our sins. That's how bad we are. That it took the Son of God coming to the earth and dying for my sin. That's how bad I am. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It says that Jesus died for me, rose again, and came to me through his Holy Spirit, convicted me of my sins, 
and I got saved. I was redeemed. I told you I got saved when I was seven years old. I was in a little country church down in, down in South Louisiana, and there was a guy up there preaching on hell. I don't remember much of the sermon. I was only seven. All I knew is I didn't want to go to hell. That was the number one thing going through my mind is that Jesus Christ was God and he had come to die for my sins so I wouldn't have to die and go to hell. And I remember sitting, I was about three rows from the back, and I was weeping as a little boy. Some of y'all may say, well, that, that sounds like an emotional, you know, like they may have manipulated you. I don't know what they did, but I was glad they did it. Amen? Because it worked. It stuck. It had my attention. I was weeping. My mom said, what's wrong with you, Jason? I said, I want to get saved. I want to get saved. That's all I knew. She brought me down the aisle. There was a preacher uh, standing over here on the front pew of that uh, church. And he said to me, young boy, I was probably on about that tall. He said, young lad, do you know what justification means? And I lied. I lied to him. I said, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. I didn't, why did he ask me that? All I knew is, is that Jesus had died for my sins, and I didn't want to go to hell. He was asking me theological questions. In fact, that kind of scared me years later. I'm like, how could God save me if I was lying to the preacher? And the minute I was getting saved, you know, I was like, that bugged me for years. And I had to remember, well, I was a lost sinner. Amen. Lying's part of it. And so... I told him, yeah, I understand all the answers, all your questions. I just want to get saved. And he knelt down with me and led me in a sinner's prayer. I've heard through the years people say, well, I don't believe in those sinners. I don't care. I prayed. Amen. I asked God into my heart, and he saved me, and that's who I am today. That's who I am. I was created by God. I was created for his glory. I became a sinner. I'm worse than you can ever imagine. And yet the Son of God came to this earth and died on the cross for my sins and came to me and saved me. And now he calls me a saint. Hello. He calls me redeemed. He's given me all of the inheritance of heaven. That's who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Can I get an amen? Now that's who we are. And when I come to the Bible, it teaches me and it tells me who I am. It reminds me that I deserved hell, but I'm not going to hell anymore. It reminds me that I was separated from God's blessing, but now I'm part of the redeemed. I was broken, but now I've been healed. And so it teaches me who I am before it ever gets around to what I'm supposed to do. And here's a little secret, folks. All other religions are exactly the opposite of that. Every single one of them. I don't care what you've been into. Buddhism, Eastern religions, even things that are pretty close to us like Catholicism and stuff like that. They all reverse it. And they tell you what you got to do in order to become who God wants you to be. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says this is who you are. This is who you are in Christ, and God is going to take what he put in you and work it out of you. Amen? All right. So that's what I wanted you to see this morning, is that this is what true faith is. 
True faith is about learning who we are before we learn what we do. In fact, all religious wars have been fought over what we do and don't do. Everybody fights over, this is the rules. No, this is the rules. Or this is how you're supposed to do it. No, this is how you... And then they fight and they fight and they fight. And they, we forget it's not about that. It's about who we are in Christ. And I'm bringing you this message today because we... we just churches just like us. I'm not trying to judge everybody else because it could be churches just like your church and my church. We can forget this stuff and end up filled with a bunch of hypocrites. There's basically two kind of hypocrites in every church. There's the hypocrites who read the Bible, see all the rules, and they think they're keeping them all. And so they're very arrogant and prideful. You ever met those people in church? Man, you, I mean, they just got themselves up on the pedestal. But they're a bunch of hypocrites. You know it. They're not as high and mighty as they think they are. That's, there's a lot of hypocrites like that. Then there's the hypocrites that see all the rules and they try their best to keep it, but they keep failing to do it. So they're miserable. They're the ones that come in church all the time crying and weeping, saying, I'm just terrible. I'm horrible. I'm so screwed up. I can't get it right. You know, and yet they keep trying to keep the rules. That, that, that's the great trick of religion, is put the rules first. Make some people arrogant, it makes some people depressed. James is taking us to the Bible, and he's saying, listen, you've got the whole thing backwards. Come to the Bible, let it be a mirror. Let it teach you who you are. Then you go out and you do what you're supposed to do, and let it flow from your heart. Because if you get it reversed, all you're doing is virtue signaling. You're just out there doing good things just so you can prove to everybody you're right with God. And you're not right with God. You're a hypocrite. You're just doing all this to try to act like you're right with God. And that's why it's shallow and people can read through that. All right. With all that said, I just want to read this again, verse 26. Think of how it reads now that you know the, the thought process of James. Chapter 1, verse 26 if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. So you got your religion backwards, it's worthless. You say you got religion and all this stuff, but your tongue is unbridled. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and... To keep oneself unstained from the world. What is, what is he saying? He's saying, look, you have worthless religion if you go out there and, you know, this unbridled tongue, like, meaning, you're out there being nice to people and all this kind of stuff, but you're talking about them behind their back. Oh, you might be Mr. Nice Christian, but, but you're judging people. You're talking people down. You're gossiping. You have an unbridled tongue. You know, he's saying, listen, really, at the end of the day, you forgot who you are. Man, if you would remember who you are, you wouldn't be talking bad about people because you would remember that you're just as bad as they are. You're just as big a hypocrite as everybody else, you see. Pure religion is going out and visiting the orphans and the widows and, and anybody else that's in affliction. The whole point here is not just those two categories, but people that are hurting and to keep yourself unstained from the world. 
He threw that in there. So it's not just about, oh, I visited the orphans and the widows, but you're living holy. That's the main thing. You're not un- you're, you, you are unstained by the world. You're going out and you're having mercy on people, and you're caring for people that aren't being cared for, but you're not looking down on them and pitying them. No, in, in fact, it's like you see yourself in them. And that's why you're helping them. Because I used to be an orphan, separated from the family of God, outside of the covenant of grace. You know why I'm caring for the orphans? Because I was an orphan when Jesus found me. You know why I'm going and visiting the widows? Which is, you know, back then, widows do pretty good these days a lot of times. But back then, man, if you were a widow, you, you were financially struggling, you were, you were in bad shape, life and death issues. And so you'd go out and visit them back then, take care of them. Not because you pity them. That's religion. Religion pities. So it goes out and takes care of. But Christianity is different. It's deeper than that. Christianity looks at the widow and says, I was a widow. I was estranged from God. I had a broken relationship. I wasn't, I, I wasn't in a relationship. But one day, God came to me, and he did a work in my life. And now, I am, I am the bride of Christ. Amen? I was a spiritual widow, and now I'm the bride of Christ. And so you know why I'm caring for the widow? Not because my religion says so. I'm caring for her because that's who I am in Christ. Why are you doing that, Jason? It's just who I am. Why are you being nice to that guy over there that hurt you? Man, haven't you heard? You can't do that. You can't let people walk on you like a doormat. Why are you being forgiving? Why why are you being so patient with this dude? That's just who I am. Because of what Christ did for me. That's now how I am. Christ was patient with me. He forgave me. He went the extra mile over and over again for me. And now he's in me. So it makes no sense why I'm doing what. In fact, I can tell you right now, there's a part of me that doesn't want to do what I'm doing. And it wars against me and on the inside. But because Jesus in me, man, I'm, doing, I'm living life differently, not trying to keep a set of rules. I'm just trying to live up to who God's made me now. And as I do, I feel the victory of Christ in me the joy that's in all of this. In fact, go down. I like this. Chapter 2, verse 1. I want to read this part again. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wears a gold ring, you, know, you remember the story now. Guy comes in with the gold ring. The other one doesn't have any rings on. So we, we, uh, we kind of, in this story, they would kind of take care of the rich man. But, I want you to see, he's being a pastor here. It's very practical. And he says, 
You can't show partiality if you are people of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of what? Glory compared to a guy walking in with gold rings. The world focuses on the rings. What are the rings in this story? The rings are that rich man's glory. He's wearing his glory. The weight of his glory is the weight of those nice rings on his finger. And oh, the world gets impressed with the glory of man. So we drop everything and we come down there and we grab him and we move this person out of the chair and we say, you take this front row because it's so great that you visited with us today. And if we can get you into our church, that would be a big win for the kingdom of God because you're an awesome person because you have so much glory. James said, did you forget that we have met Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory? Who was the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament? whose glory outshines everything, and we somehow get distracted and look at a man's rings, which in heaven are simply just asphalt or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Streets of, what, gold? You know, it's just like you got, you got overwhelmed by his rings that God looks at as like pavement, and you forget, you looked in the mirror, and you forgot that the God of glory, true glory, The glory, the infinite glory of God has come to you and you've met him and now he's in you. He resides in you. He's living in you and he's glorifying himself through you. So look at people differently. That's what he's saying. Now, you see, the the weird thing is here, you know, those people had a problem with poor people, kind of gave place to rich, but, you know, I've run into plenty of people that hate the rich. And they had a, you know, stepped on the rich to get over to the poor. You see, and that's why you got to be careful with what James is doing here. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's deeper than that. One guy's problem may be the rich, but the other person's problem may be the poor. The other person's problem may be an ethnicity. The other person's problem may be a cultural thing, right? You see, the principle remains, if you understand, it's deeper than this. He's trying to get you to remember who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you. So now when you see people, you can treat them all the same because they're just like you. Created in the image of God for God's glory but they screwed it up. And they're sinners who don't have to earn God's love. They can get it by grace. Can I get an amen? They don't have to be better. They just got to receive Christ just like you and I did. So everybody I see, I don't care if they got a gold ring or gold rims or whatever, whatever their deal is. I just see people And I kind of see myself in them. And my heart goes out to them. Because I've been where they are. And I just want them to be where I am. 
seated at the right hand of Jesus, amen, in the heavenlies, partakers of the grace of God. And by the way, that's why James goes on to say, I'm not going to read it again. I keep reading the same text over and over. I'm wanting you to see it. He says, listen, you talk about keeping all the commandments, but if you break one commandment, it's what? You broke them all? He's trying to say, listen, don't, you, don't look at people and say, well, that person's worse than me or that one's worse than them. No, look, we're all, we've all broken all the commandments. See people the way Jesus sees people. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He saw him, he saw him minister to people all his life. He said, we got to see people the way my brother Jesus saw people. We've got to love people the way he loved me and you. And that is pure religion. That is pure Christianity. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, this church is in an interesting position. One they haven't been in much. I've heard they've had a pastor for a long time. And then their former pastor was here a while. And now, Father, I just come before you thinking to myself, here's a church that doesn't have to focus on a pastor. They get to focus on themselves. They don't have to say, come see our preacher. They can come say, come be around our people. They can say the great thing about our church is not the sermon on Sunday. It's Jesus Christ. This is a real good opportunity for this church to look in the Bible like a mirror and learn some things about itself and become stronger than it's ever been. May it be a place that practices true, pure faith in Christianity. May the love and the grace of Jesus Christ so permeate this place that there would be no hypocrisy. It would be so genuine and authentic as they love everyone that comes in and everyone that doesn't come in, everyone in the community, that they see everyone through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And may because of that, the glory of Jesus flow from this place and change lives and prepare this church for its next chapter. May it be healthy when you send the next shepherd to lead the flock. May they already be following so closely to Jesus. He's going to have to kind of squeeze in between Jesus and the flock because they're just right there with the Lord. That's what we want. And that's what I'll be praying for these folks. In Jesus' name, amen.